anyone wants to have a question or discuss at all deal with denial so audrey trushke trushk constantly writes that aurangzeb was a was a king and he did not uh, he protected many temples much more than he destroyed which is you know akin to saying that he did not rape so many women but he raped some some yeah. yeah so i mean how do you ever take this on it how does any truth and reconciliation ever happen as long as there is constant denial of what happened i keep running into muslims auto wallas taxi drivers every now and then and try and get into a dialogue and there is constant denial taught in mosques that aurangzeb did not do anything alamgir every time there are always alamgir and uh, the moment you bring up kashi vishwanath which is a very big example they say which history do you read saffron history of the rss or the hp sure. i mean how do you ever get past this so okay. i mean i don't know if i i have struggled with this i constantly struggle with this that at least there is history wo to padh lo this uh, this history has stayed dominant over many years for example the people that you have talked to they have read this history that they uh, that they are mentioning they have not uh, read the alternate history or they have not read the alternate viewpoint and which has not been projected powerful enough right that is something uh, we need to do i can tell you a similar story like yours uh, i have been closely associated with many uh, human rights groups and a human rights worker once told me that he lost his faith in the secularism of india when the babri masjid fell i said okay it was you think it was a tragic incident then i said that are you aware that in kashmir just 3 years before official records say that nearly 200 temples were desecrated and destroyed he was shocked he says i don't know right i said check it up we checked up on the net and he says oh this is true i said do you know that these temples were older than babri masjid it was led by a whole mob and it the mob was almost thousands and thousands in number who destroyed that he was not aware of this alternate viewpoint so it is important to create a viewpoint which is powerful and which grows which takes its own shape we in my opinion have not done that so far there is a need for it in spite of that some people will not believe it there are for example uh, many people who believe that the holocaust never happened there is a famous book called the trial where uh, this british historian he tried to disprove the holocaust there are many people who believe that the uh, annihilation of red indians never happened so there will be always people like that but it is important that to build a framework first we need to have powerful stories powerful literature in order to um uh upscale that point of view we don't have it at the moment and is that also because we have pampered them for so long over 70 could be yeah but whatever it is we need to create our own viewpoint which has to be powerful enough which has to be written in a language that the world can see hear and understand all previous administrations have encouraged this sure. transcendence Exactly. So yeah. How does the renaming of uh, cities? How does that help this? Uh, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, getting the identity back. So, for instance, Allahabad getting renamed as Prayagraj. Is that 
positive is that not it doesn't help in any way okay it it does help in a way if it helps us to understand our history and what is behind uh, what was behind the naming right who renamed it akbar right what was the need for him to rename this place in the it is important for people to question that when a place already existed uh, and he renamed it by renaming he was trying to change the very identity of the place right name is identity it is important for people to question it themselves and see that if behind that there is a history of abuse of torture of atrocities then it needs to be changed right now for example in germany you cannot name someone judas do you know that you can't name someone judas you cannot name someone after a perpetrator after a person who committed atrocities in many countries we don't have a rule we don't have a law like that right so that's why we have someone called taimur right now right who killed millions of people right now what kind of a name or identity are you giving to this child or what is the message you are giving name is identity right yeah Uh, when you said about Taimur, I recalled uh, an experience with my friend. Uh, he told me that uh, we should not question the superstars uh, for renaming Taimur because uh, he admitted that, that 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 we should not hold them to account because of name, naming their children as Taimur. So, what do you think about that? So, I I I wanted to counter him, but I didn't have anything concrete. Okay, accountability is universal. accountability is not specific to any person they are as much human beings as we are so i i would not agree with that that's all i can say one way to counter your friend would be to tell him that would he name his son as hitler that's one way of saying sure yeah this 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 happen in societies where uh, there is a awareness of history of trauma like in why is it that you cannot create uh, someone like that in germany because they are very aware of uh, as a result of constant discussions and dialogues about how they fell into a person like a hitler and how they it almost brought them to annihilation so it is a level of awareness in the society that stops it and we need to create that Yeah. See, when we get into our history, there are lots of people. Uh, there is no hidden agenda, but they always say that they are bothered about what has happened in the past. Let's look into the future. I have lots and lots of people who are well educated, well placed in their lives, and they say this because when we debate about this, I say that we need to go back and discuss debate. And as you said, there has to be a, a kind of healing that has to take place. The immediate uh, thing that they throw at you is to say that whatever has happened in the past, why bother about it now? We all know that history has been written by the picture, and we know that there could be other points of view. But why bother about it? Let there are hundred and one issues in here to tackle: food, hunger, poverty, roads. All they'll give hundred and things to look into, rather than how this issue has been carrying on generation after generation. That this issue is not getting settled. One of the reasons why Sabarimala is happening is because of that. Sure. In my own country, am I a second-class citizen? Yeah. Sure. If you don't think 
The future is not my future. Yeah. Sure. That is why we have to think about the past. Uh, sure, you are right. And uh, Martin Luther King uh, was once asked that, uh, why do you want to start a profession over here? Why do you want uh, this town is in peace? Why don't you let it be in peace? And uh, his answer was, there can be no peace without justice. And justice has not been delivered as yet. As long as justice is not there, nothing else can take place. The core of a society is lies in that it is fair and gives justice to people, to its people. Yeah. Just a continuation, a continuation to that question, Rajat. Um, sure. Is it that for some people justice, is, I mean, there, there is a very large segment of Hindus, especially in cities, in our own families. And when I say Ramjan Bhumi, they laugh at me, mock at me and all of that, right? Is it that there is a certain segment of Hindus who have been healed or it doesn't matter to them? It's their jobs, corporate life? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm not able to relate that to your point that we as a civilization have a transgenerational trauma. There is okay. certain parts of us, I certainly agree, and maybe very large parts of us. But what about the other people, you know, like who challenge him or challenge me? Sure. I think if uh, if they challenge you, it's a very good sign because that means it means that they are getting affected. I remember the first time I uh, it was a seminar of uh, mental health professionals, and uh, I talked about the people surrounding the Ram Janmabhoomi issue, and I said that it could be a grief issue. It could be that people's grief coming over because the tendency was to portray those people as hoodlums, people who were, uh, you know, violent, who had no vision. I, I was uh, literally, I mean, I was literally hounded out. I mean, what are you suggesting? So there was no question of uh, discussing or wanting a debate over that, right? Now, whenever you bring an alternate point of view, when one particular dominant point of view has been there for decades, for centuries, is well, well entrenched, right? There is going to be a reaction like that. You have to continue with, as I say, creating a voice. And the more the voice grows, the other voice will start acknowledging that. When, for example, initially you talked about uh, the Red Indians being annihilated or a genocide, nobody listened. Their books did not, uh, the books on that did not sell. Nobody was even willing to do that. It all changed around 30 years ago, right? Uh, when this thing about, when somebody wrote about how a massacre took place and the details of what he went into the archive. Like, for example, Britain's uh, role as a colonialist, it was whitewashed for a long time till a certain person discovered what they did in Kenya and how they created a genocide, right? Today, who created, who invented the concentration camp? For a long time, people believed it was Germans. Today, it is known that it is the British. And that has come as a result of the research and writing of the books on Mao Mao revolt, right? Today, for example, there is uh, a lot of uh, research coming about as to how the British felt terror and therefore left India, not because of nonviolent uh, movement uh, by our father of nation, right? So there is an alternate 
alternate viewpoint coming up, the important thing is to make that voice stronger. When it becomes stronger, the other the other part obviously uh, would face a confrontation and challenge. I think that's the need for it. But do they not face this uh, trauma of our civilization? or they don't know of it so they ignore it they are in denial i would say many people are in, many people still live in de denial doesn't break that easily right denial breaks in fragments and stages right uh, for every society that has gone through persecution there is that rationalization that let's look forward but if we look at other societies similar to us like for example uh, societies which have faced trauma whether uh, armenians jews or uh, tibetans they have gone into their past like jewish society which is one of the most advanced society the awareness of their past is very high in them their awareness of their history their trauma every jewish child knows for example what happened to their society in the last 200 years right that level of awareness in every child from school stage is necessary and i see it also coming about in our country the more you try to move forward the more you see that how you are rooted and bound by your past the two are deeply interconnected yeah. Yeah. Slightly different approach. I would like you to comment on this. Hegemony and power. India and world in general. So we have had armies marching. Then came the British on from the seas. We have always had invaders from outside. Nothing new. Today the invasion is not simply by land and by air, but through communication. And the whatever you are seeing in the last 16 years is just a part of the communication getting into a faster and faster mode and they have been able to completely envelop our thinking. Sure. And this the cliche. History repeats itself. So, what came by land, what came by sea today is coming through the airs, through your communication channels. And this we have to take care of and we sure. have to. I agree. Yeah. I have a comment and a question. So, first the comment, simple one. I think it would not be uh, why, uh, good to use the word Redinian, the term Redinian, because that is not their self description. Because they have outgrown that and they call themselves Native Americans. So I think in deference to them, we should call them native. Uh, the question is, uh, while it is true that you know you, history needs to be acknowledged and this reconciliation needs to come about, I mean, uh, how far do you take it before this becomes a sort of victimhood uh, uh, trope, you know, so that you know people use this victimhood and uh, collective trauma and so on and so forth in order to make demands in order to you know spread across the literature and so on. I mean is there a dividing line between you know genuine recollection, genuine re towards reconciliation and also you know when you start using it as uh, something in your quest for uh, privilege or power.
when you work with uh, when you work with victims right i think first is to acknowledge that there is a issue of justice which has not been acknowledged right it is important right so i would not uh, think of that stage first before we start discussing the justice before the justice which has not been acknowledged right after the justice has been acknowledged and there is a stage when you leave victimhood you move on from there it is not something a permanent fixture in which you fix in right Having worked with victims i know that once they feel that justice has been delivered many of them move on some some do not and i think it is important to know that this happens to this happens in every system some will not move on but a majority of people will move on if you see the south south african experience many people when they had shared what had affected them and they were affected through death through torture through abuse they moved on from there right so many victims move on i believe in the power of victims that i believe in the idealism of uh, victims that they do move on after some time there are some who don't right and regarding your second point i agree that they are now called native americans uh, i don't think that there is any dispute over that i agree with that yeah so on the point of victim actually i find very little victimhood in among the hindus the victimhood is very high amongst the muslims so i mean how do you just please comment on that it's actually manufactured victimhood yeah a victim is defined as someone who has been treated unfairly right okay if you study the a uh, system there is a persecutor there is a rescuer and there is a victim right it is they are bound together in a interdisciplinary manner many persecutors claim victimhood it is not surprising i have worked in prisons with large number of persecutors they see themselves as victims first even a terrorist even a militant even a mass killer sees himself as a victim he does not see himself as a persecutor you have to understand that in uh, terms of persecutor psychology right hitler considered himself a victim he never considered himself a persecutor right so persecutors see themselves as victims first and persecutors not at all or what they did they had to do it as a necessity as a justification so most persecutors you will find playing victimhood right it is not something surprising Uh, to anyone who would be watching this video later on and people present here, uh, anyone who asks the question why we should just ignore history or not to worry too much about it, just tell them two sentences. The first one is, uh, I think I read it somewhere or heard it somewhere. Uh, people who are not uh, concerned about the history are condemned to repeat it. One is that, and the second one is uh, for the more optimistic people uh, to realize, to know where we are going, we need to know where we came from. I think Shashidhar said it, or I don't know. And my question to you is, sir, you worked with people who the criminals in Tihar jail, right? So I just want to know that after they serve the sentences, after they serve the sentences, do they come out as a reformed person, or what? What percentage of people know that what they did was wrong? Like, what should we do with people who once? They, yeah. What What do we do? And especially ones who have committed heinous crimes. especially those like who killed someone it might be in a fit of rage but what do you, what do you do with them or how do you deal with them okay uh, it's a very broad and vast question the first is i think you said that do they reform yeah. right 
very few let me say this that all over the world all over the prison systems in the world very few people actually reform right there are many reasons for it one is that there are very few therapeutic programs for reformation right now if when you talk of heinous crimes like for uh, say uh, some crimes are not repeated, right? There is one crime, for example, like when you said homicide, for example, what's called the crime of passion. You, everybody understands what crime of passion? This is one crime which is never repeated, almost zero, right? So anyone who goes in as crime of passion will not probably commit that crime again. That's almost uh, statistically zero. Someone, for example, say who's a pedophile and a homicide uh, killer, he will probably go ahead and do it again or try to do it. It is impossible to reform a pedophile, right? It is impossible to reform a person who commits sexual assault. There is no theory, there is no therapy to do that, right? Okay. Uh, sometimes it is important to create therapeutic programs and it has to be done um, with a lot of investment in order to achieve. Maybe I should tell you a story. Maybe that's uh, good. Uh, that will be a good way. Uh, when I joined Tehar, that was 92. And uh, it was uh, Dr. Kiran Bedi who brought me in. Uh, and uh, my area of work was grief work which meant that, uh, and I worked in jail number four, ward number 14, one of the most violent wards uh, in Tihar jail, right? It was a ward for people who had uh, multiple offenses, drug addicts, homicide, everyone together. And she said that this place is like a hellhole. So our team, I was there, Dr. H.S. Sethi was there, another psychiatrist who was a close colleague. Uh, we started the program of what's called rage reduction, of what you mean that, pe because people said that hai, right? So we got our first group. One of our first uh, people who volunteered for rage reduction, his name was Jathedar. He was uh, someone very um, part of the militant movement, knew Bhindranwale, had committed homicide. He came and said, I started to study Granth Sahib, because all the violence I have committed, what he tried to say was that uh, is very disturbing in some way. So we started with him. We did a couple of rage reduction exercises. I won't go into the details of it right now. But uh, I asked uh, Kiran that, what if we succeed? She says, if we succeed, it will spread. What if we don't? She says, then be ready for an inquiry commission, right? <laughs> so she says, but we are all in it together, so we'll do it. We did it. And uh, after a couple of things, I was wondering how it went. Uh, one day Jathedar came to me. He said, uh, I have to talk to you. So I said, sure. He says, uh, I said, I don't know what it means. So, which means that I have eaten my own food. So I said, what do you mean? 
किसी ने मेरा खाना ठंडा हो गया सी मैंने खुद ही फिर गर्म करने की बजाय मैंने खुद ही खा लिया मैंने किसी को कुछ नहीं कहा तो आई सेड आई डोंट नो व्हाट व्हाट दिस कन्वर्सेशन मींस आई पोलाइटली सेड जत्थेदार जी आपने बहुत अच्छा किया सो ही सेड आप देन ही लुक्ड एट माय फेस एंड ही सेड आप समझे नहीं आई वाज नॉट अवेयर ऑफ द रूल्स इन द जेल ही वाज द हेड मुंशी ऑफ जेल नंबर 4 for two years and the one who chooses it i don't have to say how he is chosen right it is something similar to the way our politicians are chosen to parliament i don't think there's much difference right but he is a extremely powerful person and langar which is the kitchen his work finishes around 9 someone is always there to keep his food warm and someone had was keeping his food warm on that particular day he fell asleep and his food got cold right but he did not wake him up and ate the food himself so he came to me to say ki i am less angry now than before i did not beat him up if the food had gone cold i would have bashed him black and blue right so then i understood what he was trying to say he says he the exercises that you people did with me has helped me to calm down so i d- discussed this with uh, kiran three of us four of us we waited uh, so we said will you share this story with the other people in the jail he started sharing that that how he calmed down he encouraged other people to do this we carried this set of exercises for one year and a lot of people stopped being violent in the process they went out they reported not being violent jathedar went out and uh, there is a very poignant story about it the police out of jail yeah they did not act violent there is a poignant story jathedar was the first person in tihar jail to have been given a farewell he was given a watch a clock when he left right he reported came back to say that he never acted violent again i mean i lost touch with him after few years so change is possible it is not that change is not but systemic way to do a big change is very difficult unless you have the resources for it the government has no therapeutic program for prisoners what we did we did out of our own initiatives what we did we went on our own it was part of a ngo that we went ahead and did that right so it is not that change is not possible but the fact is that to do it you have to put a lot of investment and at the moment there is no effort in that direction to change people the philosophy towards the prisoners is retributive these people have committed the crime so let them suffer when we went and worked the criticism that was directed at us was that why are you making their lives easier they should suffer right so if you have that retributive philosophy then you don't look at change in them right it is not then reformative so that attitude needs to change it is there in most of the penal systems across the world don't make their lives easier right it's a big debate yeah this point about retribution uh, how does uh, uh, the idea of a retributive god in both islam and christianity affect the collective minds of uh, of large masses of people do you have any insights in, into that 
It's a very big and vast question. I don't think that uh, I can, um, you know, do that. I think it is just not the idea of the God itself, but also the way you interpret the religious texts and what is written over there and how you take that. That is what affects the large mass of people. For example, in Islam, you have a lot of the books separating between uh, believers and non-believers. Many people go strictly by that, saying that the world needs to be separate, separated into these two groups and the, this is the way the non-believers should be dealt with. So that to me affects a large number of people, right? There is, I believe that there was a reformation in Christianity some couple of hundred years back where they decided that uh, many aspects of what had been written over there as word of God or in the religious texts, we don't need to take that seriously anymore. I feel that a similar effort is also needed in Islam and a reformation is very much needed in order to make a change. In fact, many uh, Islamic scholars say that privately, but none would come forward to speak that openly and directly. Yeah. In fact, Christians, Christ said, forgive everybody, he was willing to forgive mm. even the last moments. And I think the Christians have killed many more people than Indians than any other. And how does this uh, really connect? On one side you talk of forgiveness and all the ten good things. Because in the book it is written that how you need to make the whole world Christian and how you need to go ahead and do it at any cost. I mean, if you read that literature, many people choose to, uh, many people choose to accept that rather than anything else. Uh, also, it is, I think you probably know that uh, Jesus acted violent himself when he went into the temple. He just threw things and he disturbed everything else, right? And he, uh, a lot of people refer to that as a justifiable ethical violence. Yeah. Well, my question is that uh, a lot of, uh, far too many people have said that a lot of scholars uh, accept certain things, Islamic scholars, in private, uh, that certain things need to be changed or whatever. But they don't say that in open. Yeah. They don't say that publicly. So why is that? What like are they scared of something or definitely yeah. scared of what? They have different social statuses, right? But I think what Islam is facing right now is a lot of uh, threat to its identity. Some time back, I was talking to someone who is uh, uh, she's a woman. I want. Uh, she said to me, "It is very depressing to be a Muslim nowadays, right? Because all what you see, the violence in the name of Islam, the way the Islam is not able to cope with modernity, so many issues around it." And I say that it is important that uh, you need to discuss that. You need to create a reformation around that, right? There are people like that who see, and if you notice right now that whenever a religion faces threat, it regresses. Like if you see, for example, most believe that the problem with Islam lies uh, and uh, if they have to correct it, they have to go to the original, purer form of Islam, right? Most of the people I interview who have been under uh, convicted for terrorism or so, that the real problem is Islam lies because we are not following the pure, true path of Islam, right? The original Islam. Therefore, the appeal, uh, you know, for that for people, yeah. There was this, since we are talking about reformation and, you know, uh, 
uh, how Islam has a certain uh, religious uh, ideologues who come out very strongly, you know, and in a very fanatical way. So, uh, and in your book also, there was this particular character, this Chacha Ji, I think, Haji Chacha. And in the end, he comes and he says that you must, uh, I mean, he dreams the Anwar. Anwar dreams that uh, uh, he is hallucinating uh, that uh, Haji Chacha is, uh, is telling him, is threatening him that you better come to our side. Now, this Haji Chacha is one person who did not reform at all and he was fixated on his own, uh, uh, you know, thoughts. So, what is the right way of countering these people? Should we tell them uh, that uh, you are wrong and uh, you better soften down or what is the right way of going about it? Because if we batter them, try to, you know, confront them uh, head on, they could, uh, you know, uh, solidify more. So, what is the right way of dealing with such kind of people? Hmm. Uh... I I cannot say what is the right way, but I can say this, that there are people who only believe in one language and they will not change, right? So if someone believes that this is the way and considering the fact that many ideologues who are of old age, right, it is impossible perhaps to talk with them and change them, right? But people who are younger, within them, a certain percentage, a certain number of people are open to change. Right. So not everybody will change. Let me say this. Always it's a small percentage. Right. But the fact is that even when you create that small percentage, you can amplify that change, make it bigger. Right. That is the possibility for change. Yeah. Anwar already, already had the seed of change. You know? He was already, uh, the, the character was created in such a way that he already had uh, this seed in him. He was you know, he was susceptible to change. Even Zeba was. And uh, so, uh, I mean, I mean, I come back to the same, uh, you know, dichotomy. I mean, how to, I mean, as you said that they cannot change. See, change, uh, I, can o I can only say this that in my career, I have seen that change is a mystery. You try for everyone, some will change, some will not. I cannot say who will. Right. I did not know that this man Jathedar would change. I did not know that there are other people who would change. Right. Jathedar was ready for it. We, I had a lot of uh, pressure on me after him. Uh, Kiran Bedi, then Mr. R.S. Gupta, uh, then who came after that, Mr. Ajay Agarwal. They all used to say, Rajat, ek dusra Jathedar leo. Create karo. We tried very hard. We could not recreate that. He was ready for it. I used to literally, you know, scan the faces of people that who would be my next change agent because he had left and uh, we needed another one. We could not recreate that. He was one person who changed, who changed a lot of people and left. However hard we tried, we could not find another one who was ready and who had that level, right? Call it the limitation, call it that because maybe there were a lot of other things working the way the environment during Kiran Bedi's time was, you know, different and the, it could not recreate it. So change is something that we should always try. We do not know who would change. That's a mystery. Yeah. In the industry, you are made of uh, trauma and I mean, greed, anger, and all that. There was one uh, word of yeah. forgiveness. Yeah. 
and uh, how does the society forgive forgive or an individual forgive and how does it uh, help in healing the trauma okay forgiveness uh, in uh, in psychology means letting go it means that i'm no longer bound by the anger that i was carrying right so in order to move on in life right it is important to forgive which means that you are no longer bound by the anger now this does not mean that you let go of the process of justice for example when you work in criminal justice you say that you forgive the you know you forgive the perpetrator that doesn't mean that he should not get the punishment he should still get it you should still fight that case but don't let that hatred that anger inside kill you because that is being self destructive that is how we define forgiveness in mental health yeah